Father, indeed, death could not hold you down. <clears throat> and we thank you, Father, that we have a living hope that is in Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. We thank you, Father, that all that we do here today is not in vain because you have defeated the greatest enemy of mankind, death itself. And you remind us at this table and through your word of greater victory that you have given to us, your people. Now, Holy Spirit, come and breathe upon me, your son, your servant, that I may be a mouthpiece for you and for your glory, that as I open up your word, that you would breathe life, life to me and life to your people. That you would go before and that you would destroy the yokes of the evil one, the works of the devil, and that the people will be set free as you've told us in your word and whom the son sets free is free indeed. Set us free today, Lord, by your grace and your power. This we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Please stand to your feet as we read Romans 14. God's message to the children of God, unity, liberty and diversity. Part two. Here we go. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord. Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one, it is unclean. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human human approval. The grass withers and the flower fades. You may be seated. Last week, um, I spoke of the judgment seat of God and how all of humanity will bow before him, King Jesus, and how every tongue will give praise to God and how each of us will give an account for himself to God. These were the words that Apostle Paul exhorted the Christians in Rome with as they sought to live in unity among each other, granting liberty towards each other and embracing their diversity among themselves. 
The church is called the bride of Christ. And in Revelation 19, we see the last book of the Bible, the combination of God's redemptive plan, where we as the children of God are at this marriage supper of the lamb called the wedding feast, where we see this verse, which is my only slide and first slide. Here we see this great scene that's a, more of a joyful scene. So I wanted to kind of come back and, you know, it's not all knee buckling, <laughs> shaking, but your bride will be there. I mean, your groom will be there. I mean, you know, you ever been to a wedding and when the, um, the bride comes in, that's us. We're coming down to the groom and the groom is Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God. And here in Revelation 19, John tell us of this great scene for all of those who have been called by God. Here it says in 19 verse 5, he says, And a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God and all his servants and the ones who fear him. You fear God today? Then you're in that, you're in that, you're going to be at this scene here. Both small and great. See, I, I embolden that. I want you to see. Doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't matter how many degrees you have. Both small and great. Poor, rich, and all in between. It doesn't matter what your zip code is. It just matters if you are a servant of God and you fear him. Then in verse 6 it says, And then I heard something like the voice of a vast you know, when the, when the Bible says something is vast, it's, it's, it's the vast multitude, like the sands of the sea, multitude, people from every tongue, every tribe. And they were like the sound of a cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder, sand. Notice the saying there, loud thunder. Not gonna, you know, I know we Presbyterians, we're really quiet, but... I don't know what that's seen. That's not Presbyterian as much. Hey, loud. <laughs> and you got thundering going on. Woo, woo, woo. You got no real men up in there. Woo, woo, woo. They, ah, hallelujah. Because our Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Then he said, let us be glad. Rejoice and give him glory. Because the marriage of the Lamb has come. I mean, this is God's full redemptive plan that God has been doing it for all these years. And now the bride is there. The groom is there. And now it's all we've been waiting for because the lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. See, the church is called the bride. This is why we don't want to mess with that marriage thing. So that's 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 got a lot of, um, you know, typology in it. So the bride has prepared herself. And then it says in verse eight, for she was given fine linen. Can't buy this linen in any store in America. <laughs> can't buy it in Paris. Can't buy it in Rome. It's fine linen. Linen that God made himself for us to wear. It's bright. And it's pure. There ain't no spotless on it. There's, it's, it's got the, it's, it's the brightest you can get. Clorox can't get this bright. It's got the God brightness on it. And it's pure. For the fine linen represents something. What does it represent? The righteous acts of the saints. 
That's what it represents. Jesus said, here's your fine lady. I've been watching you. Been keeping my eyes upon you. I, I saw you fight the good fight of faith. So what's this vast multitude? This refers to each tribe, each tongue, each nation that God by himself has purchased by the blood of his son, Jesus. And what are the righteous acts of the saints? This refers to the believers obedient actions. You know, we don't do all bad. You know, some of us, we're fighting a good fight of faith. We've come from a tough background. It hasn't been easy for us. And God sees that you, and you're fighting here today. You're saying, no, I'm not going to be like my dad. No, I'm not going to be like my mom. No, I'm not going to be like my big brother, my big uncle. I'm going to be like my big brother, Jesus. So it's the righteous acts of the saints. The believers, obedient actions in the pursuit of spiritual purity. And part of our obedience are the righteous acts as Christians that we do unto the Lord. It's when we go about not passing judgment on each other, but building each other up by walking in love. In verse 13, Paul, you put the chapter back up. Verse 13, Paul says, therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Paul here again is restating what he has already said in verses 1 through 12 about passing judgment on each other. And that arguing about disputed matters, basically the non-essentials. Should I drink wine or should I not drink wine? And he's speaking both to the weak Christians and the strong Christians in these matters. But now Paul says to the stronger Christians here today, he says not to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in the way of your brother or sister which he explains in verses 14 and 16. He says, and I don't want you to put a stumbling block. I know you're free and whom the son has set free is free indeed. You're free. You're real free. Your, your hands as the married, uh, the shackles, you've been, your shackles have been set free from you. You're free. But Paul says, I know you're free. I know you're free like a bird. But he says, I know and I'm persuaded and you get it in the Lord. That um, that insect that they're being eaten in China is not unclean, <laughs> and though it looks unclean, <laughs> you know, all over the world, folks eat all kind of stuff. You know, I know if I ever get to go to China, you know, I'm just like, take me to McDonald's. I'm good. <laughs> I'm just gonna let them know, <laughs> hey, y'all can go in and eat the eat the flies or whatever y'all eat. I'm good. You know now. For the sake of the brother's conscience, I want to do the sign of the cross, close my eyes, drink some wine, and eat the fly. <laughs> but he said, but Paul said, just know that nothing is unclean within itself that God has made. But that's hard for some people to really understand. They're like, no, man, that pig, you can go on the internet, man, that swine. Pastor Hardy, you understand, it messes with your heart. It does this. Man, that's something in that bacon. You just don't understand, brother. That bacon is poison. But Paul says nothing's unclean in itself. But still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one, it is unclean. Paul says, we have to know that. 
Verse 15, he says, for if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat. You are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy. The relationships by which you eat. For someone for whom Christ has died. What is Paul getting at? This word destroy is a strong word. It underlines the seriousness of us walking in unity and walking in unity and granting liberty granting liberty to our weaker brothers and sisters. So it's like God says this thing about unity and walking in it is serious to him. It's not nothing that he wants to take with a light of hand. This is this is serious business. He don't want you to destroy your brother or sister's faith. So there's you can see it's 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 it's, it's a serious thing. And I said it on last week about this unity among God's people. And you hear Paul just using a very strong word not to destroy. But Paul is, is not saying that we should live our lives from the dictates and the standards of others. Because if we did, if you tried to do that, we would all go crazy trying to live according to everyone's beliefs and views. Like, man, you know, if I went into some churches today, God, you know, you know, I've worn some stuff and I've gone across the street, God forbid. And, and, and my good friend Thelma over there, she's looked at me. She's like, you a pastor? I said, yeah. I feel with the Holy Spirit. I love Jesus. She, then she said, well, no pastor wearing no pants like that. <laughs> and I just I gave that big smile, looked at her like this. I said, Thelma, you know I love chicken. I'm gonna keep, I'll be back here on Monday to get my chicken. In other words, I get what you're saying, but I still got my pants on. Now, I didn't go over there. Now, I make sure when I go over there, I, make, I put on a long suit and look like a typical, not being funny enough, but I have to look in a way that she understands the pastor. You know, put a hot suit on in the summertime. Then I go in this well, this meets your need looking like this. But, but she, you know, she's not used to her pastors looking like this. You know, I said, well, I'm hanging out with these young guys. I see how they dress over there. You see how Quasim dress? <laughs> you know, I'm trying to be like them. So, but she don't understand that. But so when I, what I'm saying here, yes, you have to be very sensitive to your brother who may be weak in a particular area or sister. But Paul is not saying to totally you get out of character and just trying to live up to everyone's views about every single thing. So I'm trying to be careful here in how I say this because it's, it's really a posture of your heart. You know, I understand that her view of, of, of how she understands Christianity, what's a Christian, how a pastor should look, how a pastor should dress. I get that. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to walk around on a hot summer day here in Alabama like it is this last week and put a black suit on with a bow tie and all the little trinkets. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I really lose weight then. Y'all would come back. We're having the PA. I would be skinny PA. <laughs> Probably a dead PA where I'll be suffocating off the heat stroke. <laughs> Some of y'all probably say PA is probably going to lose a few pounds like that. But, but I understand what she's saying. I didn't dismiss it. And so Paul is saying, 
that we should not live by every dictates and standards of others. But he is saying that we should be responsible in seeking to build each other up, especially those who are strong in these matters. This is why I had Pastor Chad read to us in the call to repentance verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So now let's read it again, because this is in the context about food being offered to idols. And Paul says the same thing. I know there's nothing wrong with the food, but some who was holding to a belief because they offered the food to idols, that, 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 that nice steak in there, <laughs> I mean, it's really nice. <laughs> um, someone said, nah, that steak got the demon in it. <laughs> and Paul says, not really, but, but for some who believe it is. And so now Paul says to, to the, the Christians in, in Corinth, he says, Everything is permissible. I mean, just permit it. You're free. You can do it. But not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible. But then he goes on a little further. But not everything builds up. We're trying to build each other up. We're coming from vast diversity of backgrounds. Hood, suburban, Two-parent home, no home, all of this. We're bringing vast experiences and all kinds of stuff within the church. And so Paul is telling these Christians in Rome, say, hey, you come from here, you come from there, and this, don't get caught up in all the non-essentials. Well, who's the best president? Who's for this? Who's for us? Who's for this? Paul says, don't get, start breaking fellowship over those matters. Everything is... It's permissible, but not everything builds up. Then verse 24, no one is to seek his own good. That's the way of a Christian. But the good of the other person, Paul says, don't seek for your own good, but seek for the good of the other person. Which Paul says, for whom Christ died. Christ died for the weaker brother or sister who faith may be weak in a particular area, whether or not they should eat meat and they should be a vegetarian or whatever the case may be. Paul says Christ died for them. So don't get caught up in the non-essentials. Don't let the non-essentials divide us, but keep us from fellowshipping with each other. But we should go about granting liberty to our weaker brothers and sisters and we are to be guided with a Christian mind at all times. We got to have a Christian mind about these things. We can't just be uh, flipping about them. But we must be patient with each other and have a Christian mind at all times about these matters. And then we must be on guard for the stronger brothers and sisters here today. Then we must be on guard against the liberty and the freedom that we have in Christ being seen as a Christian license to do evil and to harm our weaker brother and sisters. We must be on guard against the liberty that we have and the freedom that we have in Christ being seen as a Christian license to do evil and harm to our weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. 
which Paul says now that we should remember what this Christian life is all about. What is this Christian life all about? You can put the text back up. What is this Christian life all about? Verse 16. What is this Christian life all about? Why are we here? What's this thing that we're called to do here each and every day on the Lord's day? And Paul said, we have to remember. And he says. In verse 17. Verse 16, he reminds us not to let our Christian freedom, liberty. Let our good be slandered. Paul said, we have to guard against that. And then he says, why? For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. This is the first time in the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul uses this phrase, the kingdom of God. Now he uses it throughout the whole New Testament. But it's the first time it shows up here in Romans. And so you may be asking, what's the kingdom of God? Man, that's a. That's a big term, a big statement. Let's just give you a snippet of what it means. The kingdom of God is the eternal, everlasting rule and reign of God. It is not of this world. As Jesus says in John, he told um, Pilate, if his kingdom was of this world, that his servants would fight for him. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. And this is why we're told in the Lord's Prayer, we are told to pray that his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So this kingdom of God is it's a vast term. And so Paul mentions it here. That this kingdom of God, he says what is not it is this kingdom of God that we Christians have been ushered into. He says that this kingdom of God, it is not about eating or what you don't eat or what you drink and what you don't drink. Paul says it is not about the non-essentials. It's not about what president is in office. Christians don't break fellowship over the presidents who come every other four years. And look at the church in America. They broke relationships over a guy that came in and left. Who's, by the way, will be 80 in a few years. The other guy, I think he's already 80. <laughs> Christians, don't get caught up in the non-essentials. The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. But Paul says, it is righteousness and peace and joy. Baptist terminology, in the Holy Ghost. Says Holy Spirit, same thing. Paul says the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking what you wear and what you don't wear. Whether you wear straight pants, some of y'all are keeping up with the styles, but you know, you know, you live, get over 50, you see the styles just come back around. I would guarantee you, y'all gonna laugh, in five years, y'all gonna be wearing bare bottoms. And y'all gonna think y'all really sharp. <laughs> They're going to come in here, they're going to be them wide pants, they're going to be swinging all over. Now, I've been there and done that. I ain't going back to bare bottoms. <laughs> so you can tell you right now, you can get mad. Pastor, you ain't style. You still wearing the skinny legs. I'm staying in the skinny legs. Now, I fought the skinny legs. I said, I'm too big to be in the skinny legs. 
But I finally got there. They got to be tapered up now. <laughs> Can't be longer than an inch wide. <laughs> I've been to have the wide legs, man, were falling all down. You couldn't dance. You couldn't do no two-step. You couldn't do nothing. Been there, had a whole bunch of shoes that was wide legs. Wide shoe legs, wide everything. Threw them all in the ditch. <laughs> Not going back there. Paul says, don't get caught up in what you wear. In the non-essentials. But understand that the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Can I ask a question? What gives us all three of these great virtues that Paul mentions here in verse 17? Where do we get them from? Where do we get this righteousness from? Where do we get this peace that Paul is alluding to here? And where do we get this joy in the Holy Spirit from? Simple. We get it from the message that Paul has been preaching from the beginning on the opening of this book that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We get it from the gospel. We get it from the story about what God has done to save humanity. We get these three virtues that Paul says is the essence of the kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We get this righteousness when we believe Jesus is the Messiah. Do you believe that story today? And we receive that by faith. And when we receive him by faith, we then receive a righteousness, therefore, that is credited to us as though we have never committed any sin. Do we understand that? That God gives us his righteousness through his son, atoning death and sacrifice on our behalf. That's what Paul is trying to say in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's how we get it. You can't buy it at Walmart. You can't go to Wall Street and say, hey, can I buy a pound of righteousness? <laughs> you can't go to Publix and go behind the counter to customer service. Hey, what do you need, sir? Can I buy um, 10 gallons of righteousness? I just haven't done right, haven't been living right, and I need to buy it. You can't buy it. You have to believe for it. Believe what? Believe the gospel. And then Paul says, we get this righteousness that's a part of the kingdom. And then he says, we get this peace. Well, pastor, where did we get peace from? Now, you went to Hollywood, you went to all those places. Hey, you asked Hollywood, he's asked, hey, man, where y'all get peace from? They probably said, hey, go around the corner there and buy you an uh, ounce of um, Heron and meth, it'll, it'll, it'll heighten you up. It'll heighten your senses. <laughs> you get some peace. <laughs> now, I don't ever know if you're going to come back to being you again, but you'll get something. <laughs> Paul says, no, you don't get it like that. We get this peace that we all long for. Paul says in Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified, made right with God, that's what it means. That we've been made right. God has given us his righteousness through Jesus Christ by faith. We now have peace 
with God. So I don't think that Christians understand that before we become a Christian. And this is hard. It's hard for me to understand that. You know, it's kind of hard. You know, I think like I said last week, God's going to hold people accountable. And we think God really likes sin. He just looks at sin. Oh, I just see all the traffic in, in Atlanta. And give me a Gabriel. Give me a high five. Them guys really know how to sin in Atlanta. Now, I mean, I'm picking on Atlanta. I don't like Atlanta. I got to go over a lot more. I said, who would want to live in this city? Not picking on your city if you live in Atlanta. I just don't like it. I don't like the traffic. I said, man, thank God for Birmingham. So I'm going to write Mel Woodford. Don't let Birmingham become like Atlanta. I like the traffic over here. I can get in and get out. I can't move over there. And there's just seen everywhere. <laughs> man, I went to the... Um, Georgia Aquarium on Friday. I was like, what in the world? Where am I? I almost called. No, no, and pray for me, man. I can't do this, bro. I didn't know who was who over there. In Birmingham, I'm just kind of, I'm just stuck in my old ways, man. I'm just old down south southerner. I mean, I just, but Atlanta, bro, it just throws you. It's like, where am I? <laughs> so I was struggling. Me and Shane was looking around. I was like, what in the world? <laughs> and so my daughter got my grandson over here. I said, we have to pray about this. <laughs> get caught out of here. <laughs> but here we go. So how do we get this peace? Before we come to Jesus, there's a war between us and God. That's why it says in Ephesians, we're, we were enemies of the cross, enemies of God. We walk according to the power of the prince of the air. Until we bow the knee and say, yes, Jesus come in our lives. We're, we're enemies. But now when we come to Jesus, Paul says we now have peace. There's no more war. God is not after you anymore. You're in good standing with God. God, now hear your prayers. You can go in your bedroom and pray, Lord Jesus, I know I haven't lived right, quite right, but I believe in you. Please forgive me. And he forgives you over and over and over and over again. You have peace with God. You have access to God through his son, Jesus Christ. You have true peace. And then Paul says, we didn't have joy in the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? Salvation is real Zoe, true life. Some of y'all remember when you first got saved? And you just like one day you looked at your hands and said, man, I look new. Now you're still you. But it was such transformative in your mind. You were just like, man, what happened to me? Man, I went crazy when I got saved. I was just speaking all the time. I don't know what. I just, I just knew I had become something different. Christianity, having the Holy Spirit coming in you, it makes you new. You get real Zoe. Life. Salvation is having real joy. It's not like what the world gives, as Jesus says, but the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, is knowing that I am a son and daughter of God, that I have been saved by his love and redeemed and purchased by his blood. That gives us joy. So Paul says, what is this kingdom of God about? What is this Christianity? It's not about eating and drinking. It's not about whether you eat meat or whether you don't eat meat. It's not about all of those non-essentials. But Paul says it is about the righteousness and the peace and the joy in the Holy Spirit that you are a saved 
person here today, that you are a new person, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. That's joy, everlasting joy. And guess what? The world can't give it to you. It comes from Jesus. Knowing that you've been saved by his love and you've been purchased by his blood. That's what it means. The professing church, both visible and invisible, started out by saying that it is the bride of Christ. From all generations and times, we see that in Revelation 19, the professing, believing church, both the visible and the invisible. And salvation, my brothers and sisters, it is the work of God in saving wayward sinners from their sins. And the gospel grants us righteousness, a righteousness that we could never work hard enough to to get. It grants us peace that we could never pay for. And it gives us a joy that's everlasting. As Jesus says, it's always bubbling up on the inside of us. Joy in the Holy Spirit. But like all of these great virtues that we have in the benefits of the gospel, guess what? There's something about the human. We are forgetful hearers. We forget as soon as we hear it how much God loves us and what he has done in Jesus Christ to save us. We forget. We forget this righteousness that has come to us not by our hard works and endeavors. We forget that the peace that we have with God was not by our perfect lifestyle. Let me say that again. The peace that you have right now with God it didn't come by your perfect lifestyle because you can't live it anyway. Or by our perfect obedience, which we don't have. But it came by whose perfect obedience? Jesus' perfect obedience. That he went to the cross on our behalf. And doing what? And satisfying the wrath of God. This joy that you and I have, this joy of salvation that we have. Brothers and sisters, it is only a snippet of what is to come. I want you to imagine that scene, every tongue, every tribe and nation. I don't know how big that table going to be. <laughs> I tell you what, though, that's what I was trying to say last week. Someone got to sit somewhere. <laughs> and I'm trying to get as close as I can to him. <laughs> I don't want to be all back yonder. <laughs> I will be right up there with Moses, Elijah, and all the rest. <laughs> so I'm running hard. You can play around with this Christianity thing and get caught up on this side. I know that scene is coming. And I want to be as close to that groom, which is Jesus the Christ, as I can get. And so I'm trying to do all I can to obey all he's called me to do. And I say, Lord, I, want, I don't want to be like the disciples. Say, Lord, when you get to your heavenly throne, can I sit to your right side and your left? Now, I'm not asking for that. But I don't want to be at the table where I can see his face. <laughs> but more than that, the joy that we have now 
is incomparable what it would be when you actually see him. When you see Jesus and he locks eyes with your eyes. When he pulls back the veil, some of y'all going to fall out hollering, screaming. Just not just some. Oh, of us going to be hollering and screaming and crying and weeping. You was the one. That's why it's important. You were the one. Jesus, I didn't know. You were the one. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord that also I passed on to you that on that night, you were on that night, Jesus. You were betrayed. And the Lord took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said this to all of us. All of the bride. He said, I knew that night. I saw it coming. Satan tried to trick me out of it, but I didn't go for it. But he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body. Which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He says us as we come to the supper table, as we come to 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 this feast. As we come to this table, this meal, he says, I want you to remember. I want you to remember that the righteousness that you have, it has come from me to you. That I gave my life so that you would have my righteousness. I know you couldn't keep it. I know you struggle. I know you fall down. I know you don't want to get up sometimes. But I want you to remember today, my righteousness, not yours. That my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me, Jesus says. And in the same way, he took the cup and at the supper and said to his disciples and to all his disciples of all times and every bride and every bridesmaid, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. As often as you drink here today, you do it in remembrance of me. It was my blood, not your blood. This is why we don't have to judge others because it's not their blood. It's not what they do and what they don't drink and what they don't do that saves us. It's what Jesus has done to save all of us. He said, do that in remembrance of me, not of each other. You need to remember what Jesus has done. This is why you don't need to judge your brother or sister about whether they drink wine or they don't. Whether they wear a certain suit or a certain attire. Jesus says, I need you to remember what I've done for you. And he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Strong words, but words of hope and encouragement. Jesus knows us. He knows that we are frail. We falter. We sin. We make mistakes. We blunder. 
But this table just reminds us again as we come back. Weary, falling down. Jesus says, remember what I've done. Remember the righteousness. You've got it for me. You don't got to work hard for it. Just come back to the well. Come back to the table and to receive my righteousness. Believe me, his story all over again. Now, for those of you that don't believe, what does that say to you? Talk to me, talk to Pastor Chad, talk to one of our leaders. Say, help me understand this gospel story so that I can come to the table and receive this meal in confidence, knowing that my sins have been blotted out because I believe the gospel story. If you don't believe and you're struggling, you say, I don't believe, Pastor, then I would ask for you to refrain from coming to the table. This is what the word of God tells us to do. Don't come to the table unless you believe. This table is for believers, not those who are atheists or don't believe. You believe that Jesus is the true groom. He's the groom of all grooms and that we are the true brides of all brides, that he's cleaning and making it new for himself. With that being said, I'm going to pray. And then Mike is going to come and ask you guys to come up. We're going to take it one time, go back to your seats, and then we'll take and eat and drink together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this meal. We ask now you bless it. Sanctify these elements, Lord. May they encourage us to believe the gospel story. That we do have a righteousness that has come to us by faith in Jesus Christ that we've been justified. Therefore, we have peace with the Father now because you've made a way open for us to have that peace with him. And we have that most important thing. We have the third person of the Trinity abiding on the inside of us. We have the joy of the Holy Spirit resting in us, empowering us to live the life that we cannot live on our own. We ask now, come Holy Spirit, encourage our hearts, nourish us through this truth and this faith today. It's in your name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.
Yes, Lord. 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 I don't think, um, they say every love story, every romantic story, every book, every movie, every song, is really a copycat of the greatest love story ever, which is Jesus Christ coming for his bride. You gotta think and understand what kind of love that Jesus must have for us, that he would endure the sufferings, the pains, the rejection, the abuse, the spats, the thorns, the thistles, but he didn't stop. He didn't give up. He didn't lose heart. His body was beaten, unrecognizable. And a lot of the church doctrines and confessions that were written were written to help us understand because there were others that tried to spiritualize it and said, well, he really wasn't a physical body. They didn't, they couldn't handle the fact that how could someone have that kind of love? A physical man would, would endure that kind of suffering. So they tried to say, well, he was a ghost. So when he was getting beat, he didn't feel the pain. No, all man, physical man, he thirsts just like you thirst. He says, this is his body that was broken for us, his pride. Remember, take and eat. Jesus being the second person of the Godhead Trinity knew that the only thing that could appease, atone for the sins of his bride had to be a spotless, righteous, perfect lamb with no guile, no sin, no lust, no greed for money, never broke God's law so that we could have pure righteousness, that God could accept us. So his blood had to be shed, true real blood, not fake blood, real blood, so that we would be brought into a new covenant and that we would be accepted as the bride He's told us to always to drink of this cup and to know that we're a part of the new covenant of his blood, his sacrifice that made this happen. Brothers and sisters, drink. 
Jesus, we could take communion every day. And I don't know if it would do us justice just to help us to realize your eternal love for us. I pray for those who have received this by faith today, Lord, that they would walk away knowing that you love them more and more than what they can ever even imagine. It's beyond their wildest dreams how much you love us and care for us. How you are jealous for us. You want us, you like it when we talk to you. You like it when we come to you and just say, good morning, Jesus. You made us for yourself. And we thank you, Lord, that you remind us when we are so weary, our hearts are faint and overwhelmed with the sins of this world. And we have doubts whether you love us. I thank you, Jesus, that you've given to us a, a very visible thing that we can do that reminds us each and every time that you do love us and you have not left us, nor you have not abandoned us, and nor will you. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for this. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Pastor Chad, you come and stand to your feet as Pastor Chad comes to give the benediction. Please stand.